let's pray and give glory to God today. Father, we are so thankful that ours is a faith that is built on truth, the truth of your love and the proof being in the resurrection. We are thankful for the victory that we have in Jesus. Lord, may we walk in that victory for your glory. It's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, before I get started today, we have a couple of things. One thing that we're going to do, uh, I'm, I've been really excited about today because we are affirming some emerging leadership uh, here in our church. A few weeks ago, uh, we had you guys... Uh, give us some nominations for deacons. And I want to introduce two men that are coming as deacons today. Ryan Frazier, are you out? Ryan, hello, he's in the shadows. And Jeremiah Lotz, come on up here. We're so thankful. Uh, this is just an affirmation that these guys are really living what God has called them to live here. And then the I also think it's important as we're celebrating leadership and answered to prayer that I formally introduce you to our new worship leadership team, which is Tim Wagner. Come on up here, Tim. And also Rachel Smith. Come on up here, Rachel. Thank you so much. So we... Uh, you know, we pray about these things and then we celebrate and we follow leadership as the scripture tells us to. So what I want you to do in honor of what God is doing and how he's leading our church is stand. And in affirmation, we're going to pray over this leadership team. We unite our hearts in prayer. Uh, God hears our prayer and then moves. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for... Jeremiah and Ryan, and for the way they are serving meaningfully here in your church, exhorting us to be all that you have called us to be. And Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for Tim and his leadership and Rachel and hers. We're grateful for the gifts and talents that you have given them and for the way they model fabulous stewardship of those gifts as they exhort us to come joyfully in your presence in worship. Lord, we know that the best is yet to come. Father, we know that as we submit to your spirit and as we follow your lead, that you're going to expand our territory and use us to expand your kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. So thank you for what you've done. And Lord, thank you for what you're doing where you're going. Give us the wisdom and the commitment to be aligned with your vision for our church and follow you. It's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. So um, we are in a series called Call Me Crazy. And it, it's really a response to the agenda that we see unfolding in our culture, which is to transition our culture, Western culture, from Christian to post-Christian. Post-Christian being a culture that is shaped and lived in after Christianity's influence has died. Now, at some point in this journey, it is important for us to stop and say, what is the motivation? What is, what is 
the driving force of this passionate agenda to move our culture away from God. Now, I know that we as believers, those who believe the Scripture and understand what God says is going on in our world, I know that we understand that this battle is not flesh and blood, that there, there is spiritual resistance. We're engaged in a spiritual battle. And we recognize that the most motivation, the driving force behind this transition in our culture is our enemy. But, I want you to think about this. If the zealots of unbelief don't believe in the spiritual world, what is the rationale for their agenda? What, why are they so engaged? Now, honestly, zeal for the Christian faith by Christians makes perfect sense, right? We know that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. We understand that Jesus came to seek and save the lost and to connect sinners through forgiveness with God in heaven. And that's good news, and it's great news that we have the privilege of engaging with God in alignment, partnership with His Holy Spirit, in advancing that agenda, in sharing the gospel and changing the world by winning other people to faith in Jesus Christ. But, but listen, for someone who rejects the gospel... Or more specifically, bigger picture, someone who rejects the idea of a creator God and an afterlife, it's a little more difficult to understand the evangelistic fervor that is attached to that position. Why is there a discernible agenda to advance the cause of unbelief? On the surface, anti-belief fervor is irrational because it makes no sense to get all worked up about something you don't believe in. Right? So, think about this. If you're not a believer in essential oils, okay, are you going to launch a cultural campaign to ensure a post-essential oil culture? No. Well, I assume you won't. Why not? Because it doesn't affect you. You live your life and let the essential oil people live their lives. And we do, we can do, can't we all just get along, right? But when you dive a little bit deeper we begin to understand the anti-belief fervor. Belief in essential oils is nothing like belief in a creator God. Why? Because if there is a God, 
everyone and everything is affected. If there is a God, then by definition, he is the authority, specifically the moral authority of the universe. And if there is a God, we are accountable to him. Even people who don't believe in God understand that fundamental presupposition. If there's a God who created us, we answer to him. Therefore, belief in a creator God, listen closely, we got to stay with this today. Belief in a creator God impinges upon our personal freedoms because there's an accountability factor. See, I don't get to do what I want to do if I'm obligated to answer to a higher authority. Who, by the way, has established a moral code or a standard of conduct by which we are supposed to live. The very existence of God who is omnipotent, all-powerful, and omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing, limits our freedoms. There is no question about that. He limits our freedoms. Now think about what happened in your PE class in elementary school. Or maybe if that, why don't we just think about what happened in my PE class in elementary school, okay? So uh, Mr. Rowe was the PE teacher. And every day after we reluctantly dressed out for PE, we, he would assign for us to get in rows and we would have like a personal five-foot circle around ourselves because we were going to do exercises, which include, were, were, the exercises included but we're not limited to uh, sit-ups, jumping jacks, and push-ups, right? Those are, those are at least what we did. And when it came time for the push-ups, we were supposed to do 20. So there was down one, down two, down three. And, and while Mr. Rowe was watching us, everybody was engaged. But not everybody did all 20 push-ups. Maybe only the tryhards did. Why? Because when Mr. Rowe wasn't looking, when he turned his back, we would go to one knee and watch. And then when he turned back around, we were, you know, all in. We were engaged. Why? Because he was holding us accountable. We knew he was watching. And we didn't have the freedom to do what we wanted to do, which was actually nothing. <laughs> we knew he was watching. Now listen. I think it's absolutely true. A big part of the desire to do away with God, the creator God in our culture, comes from the desire to be free to do exactly what we want to do. God is viewed as a fun sponge who inhibits our happiness. And because the laws of this country and the moral codes by which we live are deeply rooted in the Judeo-Christian worldview, they are based unmistakably on Scripture. Those who do not believe in God and who think those laws impinge upon our freedoms want to do away with Him. 
the Almighty God. Their agenda is to rid the Western world of his influence or in, in the minds of unbelievers. If that doesn't happen, our personal freedoms are going to be choked out. We are always going to be limited in being able to express our desires if we have to answer to someone. Now call me crazy, but what the Scripture teaches and what has been confirmed over and over again in my journey is that the freedom we long for, listen, the freedom we long for is not found in the absence of rules, boundaries, guidelines, or guardrails, but in their presence. It is not the absence of rules, boundaries, guidelines, or guardrails that give us freedom. It is the presence of those boundaries that provide for us freedom. Now, it is ironic, but it's the adherence to rules and boundaries that actually sets us free. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.32, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. I am free to run because I am following your commands. And then in James chapter 1, verse 25, look at this verse. This is fabulous. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. Look, law that gives freedom and continues in the law that gives freedom. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Listen, here's what God's Word teaches us. His commands are actually freeing. They set us free. I've said it before, but it bears repeating. A train is only free when it has tracks to run on. In the absence of tracks, the train is stuck, right? But those tracks provide boundaries. In the same way, we need tracks to enable us to live the life we've always wanted. So thankfully, by God's grace, it is God's grace that he told us how we should live this life. By God's grace, he gave us wisdom. The, the instruction manual for living is found in his word. His word is full of wisdom, which gives us insight into the best, most productive ways to live life in the world in which he created us to live. So understand, the creator God created this world for us to live in, and he knows how we're going to live best in this world. And so he gave us the Word of God to say, look, here, here are some life hacks. Here's the cheat code to get through this life victoriously. Now, as we sang about it, it begins with placing your faith in Jesus, but then once you place your faith in Jesus, you don't just drift with the culture. You engage with the Word of God and His wisdom and follow it so you can be free. Because his word and his truth brings freedom. Now, let me, let me give you an example 
from God's word that provides proof of our crazy conviction here. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs, if you turn to the middle of your Bibles, that's the book of Psalms. And then the very next one is the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to read a couple of Proverbs from Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 7. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now here's, here's, here's the wisdom. If you resist, if we resist the natural instinct to trust our own perspective, to trust our own wisdom, believing that we are always right and that our feelings are always trustworthy. If we resist that urge and denounce that foolish conviction that our feelings are always trustworthy and instead choose to live in the fear of God. Now, what does that mean? What living in the fear of God really means is we follow his plan as the right plan. We choose to live in the fear of God. Then it will bring health to our bodies. Now, you say, God, is, it, like, is, that, is that always true? Is that a promise? Here's what you need to understand about the book of Proverbs. It is not a book of promises. It is a book of wisdom. And what's the difference? A promise is, I promise you that if you give me, and I'll do this right after service, if you give me $20, I'll give you two back. Okay, I promise. All right? You with me? Meet me at the door. That's a promise. Wisdom, on the other hand, says that this will prove itself to be true over the long haul. Okay, you, you follow this teaching, and over the long haul, you'll see that it was wise, that it was true, that it was reliable. So, what do these verses teach? They say that doing life God's way provides health benefits good for you. And that assertion has been proved scientifically. It is reliable wisdom. On October 28, 2016, Harvard School of Public Health professor Tyler Vanderweel and journalist John Sniff, not Sniff, Sniff, published an op-ed piece in USA Today entitled, Religion May Be Miracle Drug. Their piece began with this quote. If one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? Then they go on to, to outline the physical health benefits that are correlated with regular religious participation. Their research showed that going to church 
being involved in a fellowship of people that follow the wisdom of boundaries, being in community, scientifically proved to reduce mortality rates 20 to 30% over a 15-year period. Research shows that those who regularly attend worship service, remember, following God, fearing God is good for the bone, good for the body, good for the bones, right? That's what the proverb said. Here's, here's the, what the research shows. Those who had regularly attend services and submit to the teaching are more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, are less likely to commit suicide, have greater purpose in life, are less likely to divorce, and are more self-controlled. Those are the findings. Now, does going to church mean that you won't die in this life or that you won't have problems? No. And if anybody tells you it will, they're wrong. This is not a guarantee that there won't be problems. But God's wisdom can teach us how to reduce those problems, how to minimize those times when I am the problem, when I create those issues. The fact is that religious participation, which includes the application of the teachings of God's Word, the application of our faith, it is unquestionably good for your emotional, physical, and spiritual health. Now, commenting on their findings, Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin concluded, turn this data on its head, and the trend toward secularization in America is a public health crisis. Living according to God's wisdom is good for us. It's good medicine. It's healing to the body, health to the bones. So the bottom line, let's, let's pan out from that example. The bottom line is that God knows what's good for us. No matter how you feel, how I feel about what he told me to do, he knows what's best. Father in heaven knows best. And if we apply his wisdom in our lives, if we embrace the restrictions of his guidelines and those boundaries that he provided, then we will be free to live the life we've always wanted. But, if in the name of our personal freedom... And for the cause of immediate gratification of my desires and feelings, if we choose to do things our way, we forfeit the long-term freedom that we truly desire. See, sometimes you have to get inbounds and say no so you can get to yes. See, every choice you make is a yes to one thing and a no to everything else. So even when you think you're exercising your personal freedom, you may be putting yourself in a cage. And what God's Word and His wisdom teaches is that if we will say yes to Him and no to everything else, shun evil, then we're actually 
going to be living in this beautiful freedom that he designed us to live in. That example of health to your bones, that's, that's one example where the scientific data support the wisdom of God's word. And I could just as easily have cited the reliability and benefits of God's wisdom in the management of your money, the offering of forgiveness, sexual purity, watching your tongue, guarding your eyes, disciplining your children. The list goes on and on and on. God's word proves itself to be reliable and to be the path that sets us free. So the bottom line is, God has wise boundaries, good guidelines, and protective guardrails in every area of our lives. And embracing those restrictions, the ones that come with his wisdom, will always ultimately lead to freedom. Rejecting them, not so much. So whether it is freedom in our health, wealth, or our relationships, or freedom from things like bitterness and regret, God's Word shows us the way. That was David's message in Psalm 19. I want you to turn to Psalm 19. This is just a beautiful passage of Scripture that... Uh, I, I would love for you to jot down and meditate on through the week and just celebrate the, the wisdom of God's Word. Psalm 19, this is a song that David wrote, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. Listen what he says. The law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, think permanent. Timeless. The decrees of the Lord are firm. In other words, always relevant. And all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from a honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. There is great reward. There is great satisfaction when we lean not on our own understanding, but we lean into God's wisdom that's been graciously revealed through his truth, the scripture. Now call me crazy. But I believe the freedom and the satisfaction that we long for is found not in the absence of rules, boundaries, guidelines, and guardrails, but in their presence. And the sciences, medical, behavioral, and psychological, all prove that to be true. In other words, our culture is telling us the word is right, 
will bring freedom and then they're foolishly rejecting it. The question is, are we? Like, I, I venture to say that most of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ would say, look, I don't need all that proof. I don't need science to, to tell me that God's word is true. I just believe it. I know it. Because I think anyone who thinks critically about life and is honest about the way it works and is honest about when it doesn't can see that there are benefits to staying in bounds. There are benefits to doing things the right way. If you want your marriage to work and to be a fair proof, then put some boundaries on your interaction with people of the opposite sex. If you want your relationship with your kids to work, then establish some boundaries that will teach them the right way to go. If you want your relationship with the money God enables you to earn to work, then follow the guidelines that he's given you for the management of money. It's common sense. It works. I think we believe that. I think we agree. But if we believe boundaries are good, then why do we spend so much time running through them? Why do we spend so much time wiggling out of those boundaries? Why are we looking for shortcuts and still seeking immediate personal gratification in violation of and at the expense of God's wisdom? Why is that? Why is it, as Paul said, that in, in my heart I know the good thing I should do, but in my flesh I, I just do something else altogether? Why do I believe the wisdom of God and yet choose not to live in it? Well, the simple answer, and I think the right answer, according to God's word, is that we don't train ourselves to live in bounds. And we don't persevere in God's guidelines. We, we have this idea that I'll give it a try. And God's going to bless it if I just try it. But God's word doesn't say you find success in trying. Remember, wisdom is over the long haul. So we don't give it a try. We train ourselves to stay in bounds. Persevere on that narrow road. And then we realize the benefits. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And you can just jot that down. Here's, Paul was telling his protege in the ministry, Timothy, how, how to make a go of it. And this is what he said to him. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Look, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. 
I wonder if he was writing today if he would have said conspiracy theories. <laughs> don't, don't mess around with that stuff. Rather, rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, everybody knows that. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now listen, the, the word train here in, is the Greek word gumnos. Okay, and that's the word from which we get our word gymnasium. Okay, and, and it actually... The, refers to the way that athletes trained and even competed for a prize. And to keep this rated G, uh, they were completely unencumbered by restrictive clothing. Okay? So the message that Paul is sending here is that if you want to reap the benefits of the Christian life, if you want to find the fruit of godly wisdom, if you want to gain the freedoms that are established by staying in bounds, you have to train yourself to live on the narrow road that leads to godliness. It's not easy. It requires training. Jesus said, Broad is the road that leads to destruction, the opposite of freedom, and narrow is the road that leads to life, which is freedom, and few travel thereby. You know why few travel on the narrow road? Because few engage in the training necessary to stay in bounds. It's not easy. How much training do you do for yourself? Do you engage in for the purpose of godliness? There are two practices that we need to employ if we're going to train ourselves to godliness. And the first is we need to identify the encumbrances. Those things that prevent us from staying on the narrow road. And then secondly, we need to continuously throw them aside. So we identify the encumbrances and then we continuously throw them aside. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. This is a fabulous verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and who are these witnesses? They are people who lived by faith. They, they leaned into the wisdom of God, and people said they're crazy. And they said, call me crazy, but I'm doing it God's way. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who have lived in wisdom. And since we can see what happened with their lives, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The first thing we have to do if we're going to live in God's wisdom is identify the encumbrances. 
What entangling alliances trip you up? What, what weighs you down? What discourages your spirit? What gets in your way? Is it your feelings? Is it your fear of rejection? Is it your insatiable appetite for immediate gratification? Are there relationships that are holding you back? Are your priorities out of whack and therefore you've deprioritized God and elevated your own concerns? Those are encumbrances. They're what the Proverbs call folly. They're things that cause us to live with a deficit of wisdom. You know what happens? In my, in my quiet time this morning, I'm, I was reading Proverbs 19, and look at Proverbs 19.3. This is a fabulous verse, and it's one that you could really only preach. I wouldn't apply this to people one-on-one -on -one when they're struggling, but here, here's the wisdom of God. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against God. You know what that's saying? It's saying that that person is not do, dealing with the encumbrances. They're going their own way. And then when things begin to fall apart, when they don't have the fruit of wisdom and the freedom they desire, they turn to God and say, what are you doing? Where are you? And the wisdom is, uh-uh, look in the mirror. What are you doing? You can't live foolishly and expect the fruit of wisdom in your life so the first thing we have to do is identify what encumbers us what keeps us from running freely on that narrow road because those things that entangle us will trip us up and limit our freedom so first, we need to identify the encumbrances. The second thing we must do is continually throw them aside. That requires perseverance. Like, you, you, you can't say, I'm, I'm not going to do this today and expect the fruit of wisdom and freedom and then re-engage tomorrow. obviously. And what we need to understand is, yes, while, while there's victory over those things that encumber us because we have faith in Jesus, that victory needs to be won daily. Our victory that ensures that we're going to spend eternity with God is a permanent victory. Our victory over the sin that so easily entangles us may be weekly, may be daily, may be moment by moment, especially if you have some addictive tendencies. You might just have to overcome every minute of the day. It requires perseverance. Perseverance. 
Perseverance says, look, if I, I understand that if I'm going to finish this race, if I'm going to live by God's commands, I'm going to have to choose not to quit. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter what the feedback is telling me. Is this working? No, this isn't working. That doesn't matter. We have a great cloud of witnesses that tell us to stick with it, persevere. And if you persevere, then you'll step into the fruit of wisdom. We believe in God. We believe in His Word. We stay in His boundaries. We say, I believe who God created me to be. I believe in what God has called me to do. And I will not quit. You know who didn't quit? Jesus didn't quit. You think that was easy? Live a life where you're persecuted continuously for being who? The Messiah, the Son of God. He was rejected by his friends, misunderstood by all he served. He was accused of crimes he didn't commit, found guilty, tortured, and hung on a cross. And what Hebrews 12, 1, 2 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know what that endured means? He persevered through the pain. And God validated his perseverance by raising him from the dead and giving us the possibility of life with our Heavenly Father. He's the model, the author and perfecter of our faith. He persevered. And we should too. There's a reward. There's freedom. Freedom inside the boundaries of God's wisdom. It requires effort, training in godliness, and the willpower to persevere. But it pays off. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8. Just listen to these words and you can... Look them up later. It says, for this very reason, make every effort. It's not half-hearted. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know what the free life is? It is productivity and effectiveness as we stay in the bounds of God's Word. What Peter tells us in this passage is that life, the life we desire is established When we live in wisdom, when we seek wisdom, 
and apply it. Living unencumbered, continuously, getting rid of those things that trip us up is the way to freedom and the way to live for the glory of God. That's where we find our freedom. Now, are you free? Are you doing what wisdom tells us to do? To have freedom. Let's bow our heads. Do you have faith in the truth and wisdom of God's word? A living faith that follows that wisdom produces life and fruit. It produces freedom. So the question is, are you living in bounds? Or are you submitting to God's wisdom? That life on the narrow road, the way Jesus describes it is you enter through the gate and there's the narrow road. You don't take the narrow road to get to the gate. The gate's first. And the gate is faith in Jesus Christ. So we begin this journey by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Are you a follower of his? Do you, do you believe that he died for you and died on the cross and was raised from the dead so that you have access to this free life on the narrow road? That's where it begins, with faith in Jesus. And then once we've placed our faith in Jesus, we choose not to lean into our own faulty, limited understanding, but we lean into the wisdom of the Creator God. How many of your decisions are based on God's wisdom? And how many of them are based on your desires? God's wisdom brings freedom. Father, my prayer today is that this body of believers, those of us who have gathered here today to seek your wisdom and truth would have the wisdom, the courage, the discipline, and the perseverance to live according to your truth. By your spirit, Lord, your word says you'll guide us into freedom. Let us live in that freedom. I want to challenge you to commit yourself to God's wisdom today. Ask God that by His Spirit, He will alert you when you're 
living for yourself, when you're making a decision based on your understanding or your feelings. And then throw that encumbrance aside and follow him to freedom. Father, we're thankful that your word and your wisdom prove itself to be true. May we live in its light and enjoy your freedom. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.